0: Hello and welcome to the world-famous Driving You Crazy Podcast. This is the show where we talk about all things transportation, anything that gets you from here to there. I am the traffic anchor and the transportation reporter for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber, and if you would like to be a part of the show, you could always give me a call here on the listener hotline. That number, 303-832-0217. It is also in the description of the show, as well as all my other contact information. I think the most important of the five human senses is touch. If you can't feel, then you're limited in the information your body needs to survive. Can the same be said about your vehicle? What if your car could have that same sense of touch to touch and feel the road like you could with your fingers without dragging them along the road and getting them all uh, cut up and (laughs) and bloody? Uh, That is what one company is working on right now to talk more about what this is, what it's all about, how it works, how it can help us on the roads, is Jahar Bin Noon, Chief Executive Officer at a company called Tactile Mobility. Jahar, thanks so much for joining me here on the World Famous Driving You Crazy podcast.
1: Thank you for having me, at the show. Thank you.
0: Now, when I say world famous, I mean it. I'm speaking to you right now from Israel, right? Correct. Yes, yeah, 7 p.m. Israel. <laughs> what are some of the challenges they are driving in Israel right now? How are the conditions of the roads? I've heard, actually, that generally speaking, driving in Israel is more challenging than driving here in the United States because it's more uh, congested. There's more congestion in your cities there than it is here. Is that true?
1: That is absolutely correct. It's getting more and more. Uh, uh, it's it's actually a nightmare. I mean, you can you can go out. Uh, I live in near Jerusalem area and I work near Haifa, which is in the north. It can take an hour and a half. It can take two and a half hours. It's a nightmare. Uh, and you and you don't really know the difference in why it's two and a half hours, why it's the three. Uh, there's so many reasons for that, but um, I'm not here to complain about the roads in Israel.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's okay if you want to complain about the roads in Israel. I, I'll, <laughs> I'll let you complain as much as, much as you want. Yes. Aren't <laughs> uh, drivers, though, they're more flexible in how they drive, and they just kind of basically go with the flow rather than – Get all bent out of shape when someone pulls in front of you. Isn't there a different style of driving there?
1: Well, we tend to be less polite and less, um, um, I, w- I would say, uh, generous. In uh, then, you know, I used to live in the in the US for three years, and when I came back to Israel, I actually forgot how how is it driving in Israel. And then, you know, quickly you you have to get used to that uh, very quickly. Uh, but um, y- you know, it is as if. Um, <laughs> a mini war in the roads. So um, uh, that's the way it is, and we, uh, we are dealing with that. We are totally aware of that. We are trying to improve, but uh, it's very difficult.
0: It's really interesting, though, yeah, to hear what it is like to drive in different parts of the world, and I don't think we get to hear enough about what's going on in Israel here in the United States. Uh, okay, let's talk about cars and how they can feel their way down yeah. the road. Your technology... Is it really just a series of sensors that are attached to the vehicle? Are they just built into new vehicles? Can they be retrofitted? We'll talk all about that stuff. So really, what, what is this technology? Is, is it really just a series of sensors that gets fed into a computer?
1: So um, what we are doing is exactly what you said. We are providing vehicles with a sense of touch. You know, there there's a lot of sensors, visual sensors, cameras, radars, lidars, uh, ultrasonic, whatever you, uh, anything, but there is not, uh, there, there isn't any technology that can actually allows the vehicle to actually feel the road. What we are doing with a software only. So maybe we're talking with about sensors and processors, but we are a pure software company. What we are doing, we are formalizing the dynamics between the vehicle and the road. How do we do that? We're embedding a very low footprint software into the chassis ECU. ECU is uh, the computer of the chassis, and we are collecting data from existing in-vehicle sensors. So, so the OEM, the car manufacturer, does not need to add any hardware in any shape and form. We are collecting data from the from these sensors. We're applying signal processing and machine learning. I hope I'm not getting too technical here. No that's okay' and Be are-
0: as technical as you like. we love it.
1: <laughs> and we are generating insights which we call virtual sensors. So uh, some of these those insights related to grip estimation, uh, tire health, weight estimation, surface events. We're doing a lot of mapping in the cloud and and more
0: So you're saying basically the vehicle already has this data and is collecting this data as it's going down the road and the tires can sense what's happening, as can the shock absorbers and as can, you said, the, sh- the chassis, the, the entire vehicle. I, I had really no idea that all these different sensors were doing all those different things in the car because I, I never saw an output of any of those uh, data points in as I'm driving around.
1: That, and that's exactly the beauty of what what we are doing. Um, the, there, there are hundreds of sensors in the vehicle, all kinds of sensors, wheel speed, engine torque, your uh, rate, and all kinds of sensors. Um, they are very, very noisy. They are creating a lot of uh, data, which is very noisy, which is actually not useful even for the car manufacturers. What we are doing, and this is what we're specializing, we're cleaning all those noises from those sensors. And then we get a a clear data from these sensors. We're applying a lot of machine learning. We're learning as we are driving, sometimes within years, for example, with the tire technology, sometimes within seconds, sometimes within milliseconds related to grip. And we're providing the computer of the chassis with those uh, insights. Now the OEM can decide whatever they want to do with the with this uh, information to alert the driver or preconditioning of the chassis and do actually a lot of stuff there. And, and they they are always uh, shocked uh, when I say they, 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 the car manufacturers, that we know those sensors very well, and we cannot extract this data out of those sensors.
0: My guest is Shahar Bin Noon, Chief Executive Officer at a company called Tactile Mobility. We're talking about uh, sensing the road as you drive. You must need then, you said you have just basically the software that collects all this data, but wouldn't you need more than just whatever computer capacity is in the vehicle to process all this data? You would need some kind of almost extra supercomputer to process everything that's happening and then use your software to then send it out to where it needs to go?
1: That is an excellent question. What we are mostly proud of, is the fact that we are doing it with a very, very, very lean uh, piece of software. Uh, it's funny when you think about um, the computers uh, of the of the chassis, and there are many computers inside the uh, the vehicle. They are very, very, very uh, small. They have. We are talking about bits and bytes, and uh, maybe one megabyte for the entire software of the chassis. And this is uh, really ridiculous numbers. What we are doing, the everything that we, the, I described that we are doing, we are doing it with a, a 100K piece of software or even less if necessary. And the, the amount of data that we're using unvisual visual data is like bits and bytes is you can imagine, I don't know your computer uh, uh, in the 80s that is calculator actually, it's actually much, uh, weaker than than those uh, calculators.
0: Like so, a, you uh, could you could put the software on a floppy disk.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, actually, yes, maybe in a tenth of a floppy disk.
0: Wow, yes. that that's yeah. that is really remarkable. It it really is that it's just that little bit of of software they can, it, but it has to be that small in order to work with every different car because. Every car is different, as you know, whether it's a BMW or a Volvo or a Chevrolet or a Ford. or Every car maker has different sensors in the cars, has different ways to interpret that data, collect that data, and then your software apparently can work with any of those vehicle manufacturers.
1: Correct. This is what we call the calibration process where we are getting different type of sensors, different units, um, and, and and then we are applying the core software, which we call tactile processor. We, uh, our founder, Boz Mizrahi, is the CTO of the company, insists of using those terms, uh, uh, hardware terms, because it is uh, a processor that is doing that inside uh, the vehicle. It's like a... a in a way, a black box inside the computer that is getting the data and processing it in real time. Now, the beauty here, since we have multiple virtual sensors, is that once the processor is embedded already inside, adding another virtual sensors uh, is is easy. And sometimes sensors that we never dreamt, dreamt of. Uh, for example, um, an OEM that has a diff- completely different idea. Uh, can you do that? And then we are, Doing a POC, trying to explore that option, and then we can, uh, 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 we can do that as well. Anything related to, to sense to the uh, dynamics between the vehicle and the road.
0: As I think about this, it, I was thinking about the difference between a Jeep Wrangler and a Lamborghini. Couldn't be more different in between these two different vehicles. One can go 200 miles an hour, but the other one can go up the side of a mountain. And when I think about what data the vehicles are collecting, and I was thinking about just the shock absorbers. In the Lamborghini, it is collecting a lot of information from the shocks and from the tires and from how it's gripping the road in a different way than the Jeep Wrangler is going up the side of a mountain. But they are both collecting data and then sending that to the processor, and then you're able to collect that that and then and then use it for uh, what you need to and 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 really see how each different vehicle is handling the road and feeling the road or when there isn't a road in the Jeep Wrangler case, uh, in, in in each each different sense.
1: Correct. And uh, what uh, another thing that we're very proud of that we are not requiring high end, very uh, expensive type of of uh, sensors. So you mentioned a Lamborghini or Porsche that invested in our company using very high-end sensors for for the suspension. Um, If they are providing these sensors to us, that's great, that's more data for us. But we are are using the cars of 10 years ago, same type of sensors from 10 years ago. And it is good enough, those basic sensors, uh, uh, maybe... 15 type of sensors that are the basic thing that are not special, that are not expensive. But of course, if they provide it, then we are happy to use more sensors and um, and of course provide even a, a better data or a new data that we cannot provide with a regular car.
0: My guest is Shahar Bin Noon, Chief Executive Officer at the company Tactile Mobility, speaking to him right now from Israel about feeling your way down the road. How does any of this change between an electric car and an ICE-powered car?
1: Well, uh, we, we, we like very much the uh, the the EVs, the, the electric uh, cars, because the, their signals from the engine is clean and very, very, very accurate. Uh, we have to deal with a lot of noises from a combustion engine uh, 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 car. Um, and uh, it's not a coincidence that the first vehicles that we've actually uh, deployed with, uh, with the BMW fleet is actually uh, the electrical vehicle. Th- these were the first uh, cars, but we are, uh, we are doing the entire fleet uh, of, of any cars. We are actually indifferent completely, but it's just uh, better signal. So it's uh, a little bit easier for us.
0: When I'm driving around and let's say I hit a pothole, when when you hit it as a driver, you know, you hit it and the sensors in the vehicle will pick that up and okay, fine. But really, is it the key to this technology in sharing that information where the pothole is, how deep it is, how much damage it might've just caused my car with other drivers and with maybe the local transportation department to go out and fix it?
1: Well, uh, you you know, uh, if you go with a Ford 150 on, on a pothole and you go on a, on, on a mini on a pothole, it's a completely different experience for those vehicles. So what we've done, we've developed a little language. We have a step down, step up. We can identify what type of a pothole. Is it dangerous for, for this car? Is it okay? And then we are normalizing everything. We know that this specific car is a heavy truck. Can deal with that pothole, maybe this uh, Lamborghini is very low, maybe it's a, it's a bit more challenging for, for this Lamborghini, but what we are doing is we are normalizing all the data, we're uploading to the cloud and then we're creating a map, a distress map, uh, that is um, uh, taking this out, uh, outsourced uh, uh, data and, and providing this map for every vehicle. So uh, um, this is one of our solutions, um, the, the distress map. But I think the most important and interesting map is the grip mapping solution that we are uh, we are doing. We can measure the exact friction between the vehicle and the road, uh, whether it is icy, whether it is uh, uh, rainy, uh, uh, whether it's slippery, etc. Uploading to the cloud again, normalizing it, and uh, we're providing what the industry calls e-horizon. Basically, cars can get what is coming ahead of them. Is it icy, maybe I can precondition the chassis, maybe I can slow down, uh, alert the driver, etc. So those kinds of uh, cloud solutions are done with crowdsourcing of millions of cars, different type of cars, normalized data, uploading it, and then creating those tactility maps, as we call
0: it. So how are you able to get this crowdsourced data, this uploaded data to the cloud, if my car is not connected, I don't think my car is connected. The only thing that really does change maybe is the clock in the car. But is <laughs> is, is all of this data, yeah. do I have to sign up for a data plan? Is it already just going out to the cloud? How are you collecting all this data from all these different vehicles?
1: So there's, there's two parts for, for what we're doing. The, the one that we call onboard solution inside the car or under the car, as people call it, When we provide those um, insights to the car itself in real time for the car to make uh, a better decision, that's one thing. But in order to upload the data to the cloud and create what I described with the tactility maps, of course, it must be a connected car where uh, every few seconds it has some connection to the cloud uploading the data. So it is in real, near real time.
0: Yeah, so it takes newer cars. My older car is not going to really help out in this data collection. It really is going to be a future solution for future problems and future road conditions.
1: Well, you know, almost uh, 50% of the cars that are going now, new cars are connected. Not all of them are connected, but almost all of them, uh, and probably very soon, all of them will be connected. So uh, that's uh, the problem of the past, of not being connected. But on the other hand, the, uh, uh, the those insights for the real-time inside the car, we are not related to the, t- uh, to the cloud at all. It's edge computing inside the car and providing those insights for safety and performance sometimes.
0: What is interesting to think about is, let's say you are driving a connected car. I am as well. You are several hundred meters ahead of me. I'm using meters because you're there in Israel. I'm trying to, you know, relate to the whole uh, because you know we're on the imperial system, of course. But anyway, we're, you're you're out ahead of me a little bit, and your vehicle all of a sudden is detecting some rain and that so, that just fell, so it's starting to get wet on the roadway. But my vehicle is still dry. So then you're calling to my vehicle to say that hey, it's wet up here, but the by the time I get up there, the ro- the the rain had already stopped and and it's now starting to dry out. So. It's just interesting to see how the vehicles could maybe interpret that data, collect that data. As the conditions are improving here in Colorado, uh, it it could be snowy in the morning. As long as the sun comes out, the roads dry out very quickly So, because of our altitude and usual dry air. So I I think that is, is, is huge to provide to drivers and their vehicles to get them to be able to know when they really have to slow down, when they can actually pick up the speeds a little bit, and how dangerous those different weather conditions can be for them as they're making their way around.
1: Right. Since we are talking about uh, a matter of seconds, then drying is um, not, not really the issue. We are getting the data within seconds. We are providing those updated maps to the car. So for example, if you're driving and you're getting into an icy condition, um, uh, we will know that probably we will be able to alert the driver, which is 300 yards meters uh, behind you. So um, um, it's it's all about uh, the amount of frequency, the amount of cars and the more cars that we have with tactile inside as we call it. Uh, the faster we can uh, uh, alert those uh, uh, drivers. But, you know, we're talking about drivers that are actually driving right now and they can be uh, alert, they can see. Um, but think about autonomous vehicles, which again, it's it, it will take time until it will be fully autonomous, but also already now with a uh, level uh, three where the driver is actually allowed to go to sleep. Yeah. Um, so at least for, I don't know, 10 seconds, he has to be awake after 10 seconds or so for a level three. Um, for autonomous vehicles, uh, this type of technology is a must. It's not a nice to have, okay, I'll get an alert, maybe I'll do something with it, maybe I don't. But for autonomous vehicles, it's a must. It will not. They will not be able to drive without that type of data in addition to all those sensors, visual sensors that they have. It's just simple visual sensors, simply not enough. It may be 90% of it, but the, this 10% missing type of data is critical to have down the road uh, autonomous vehicles.
0: My guest is Shahar Bin Noon. He's the chief executive officer at Tectile Mobility. You can get their contact information from the link that I provided in the description of this show. Are, are you going to work then if you have this data going to my car? from another car, I'm going to need to be able to interpret that data. I talked to a company called TomTom. I'm sure you've heard of TomTom and some of the the other data providers. And they usually are trying to do similar uh, data collection where they're trying to collect where there might be construction or lanes blocked or slowdowns with uh, volume on the roadways. And do you, in, in... Take their data and your data and combine them, or are you working separately from companies like that? And how does my car get all this data if it's separate from what you're providing and from what they're providing? And then how can I interpret all of that and and make it a better drive for me?
1: Well, of course, we are using the mapping companies that has all the infrastructure of the mapping, uh, and they are becoming not only for mapping, but also for data, as you described with TomTom, um, then of course we are uh, uh, working with these uh, providers. We are doing the map matching for so this data. Is, uh, it's absolutely critical that when we are getting the data, let's say in icy condition in a bri- uh, on, on a bridge on a certain bridge, maybe 100 meters later it's not icy at all. So it has to be extremely accurate to the level of one meter. Um, so we are, we, are, we are getting the data, we are uh, uploading it to those providers. Uh, and, and then we're sending it back to the uh, uh to those vehicles uh, again.
0: So it's really not your company sending it to my car, you're sending it probably to a TomTom or somebody else that then I I subscribe to and get that data to my car.
1: Well, normally it will be mostly through the uh, OEM that will uh, enable you get the data back. So if you're working with Ford or BMW or with any uh, uh, other company, they need to provide that type of service because there are the companies that are able number one to get the data from the vehicle to their own cloud then they are uh, gracious enough to provide us with the data uh, and we are processing it and then uh, they're sending it back to the vehicles to their own fleet or community of vehicles uh, through their uh, their cloud solutions Um, so normally in this case it's the oem that is providing the data to the driver
0: now as we talked about your technology is really all about the software that is collecting data from the vehicle and not really collecting anything about the infrastructure. I guess it's kind of where it's interacting with the infrastructure, the tires, the feel of the road, uh, maybe some of the weather, obviously. But how do these poor road conditions, uh, how do you deal with poor infrastructure, with traffic signals that are not connected um, With uh, to, to really play into better tactile mobility
1: well first of all one of our, the interesting products that we uh, that we are providing is what we call pavement rating uh, you know today municipalities and cities what they do they they have a survey car it costs them tons of money they they do it once a year uh, and then they get a pretty good and accurate uh, status of the road but it's only once a year what we are doing, we are collecting, collecting the data of the road, the surface and the status of it, and providing those municipalities and road authorities the ability to really know, uh, it, it, almost in real time, it's not that critical for real time in this solution, but uh, uh, what's the status, prioritize their maintenance, uh, and saving them a lot of money for a fraction of the, co- of the cost of, uh, uh, of that. So we are definitely uh, into uh, infrastructure status and and measuring it and providing those uh, solutions to road authorities, municipalities, and more.
0: It'd be nice if you could send information about uh, the signal lights that are supposed to be timed correctly and send it back to the municipality saying, uh, these lights are not timed right. Could you fix that, please? I, I hear that all the it's time. very,
1: very hard to provide data about lights. <laughs> uh, where, where? Think about it. We are blind. We don't see anything. Yeah. We just feel. So we, we don't have any idea what's the status with the traffic light.
0: <laughs> Well, obviously, your technology can make automakers make their cars better because you are using their data in a way that they really haven't even been using their data in this, in this way, in this sharing way, but can your data help out tire manufacturers and the headlight makers and the wipers uh, makers to create better products, um, sending your data back to the uh, OEMs to make better products?
1: Uh, absolutely. Some, one of the most important family of virtual sensors that we have is what we call tire health virtual sensors. So for uh, I'm sure that you know that uh, there is a, a way now to know uh, whether your tires are inflated enough or not. Uh, in many, many new cars, you get it, uh, an indication whether you have enough uh, air or you need to inflate it or, or, or not. But nobody knows what is actually the status of the tires. What's the, uh, is it uh, completely worn? Is it uh, the tread depth, or uh, is it uh, is it too low, below the law, or is it still good enough? Uh, is it stiff? It can be a brand new tire, but sat down at the tire manufacturer for two years, and it's completely stiff, even though tread depth is perfectly well. But it is very stiff and risky uh, uh, to drive. We are measuring tire stiffness. We are measuring tire tread depths a uh, uh, tire wear, as we call it, those two sensors together, it's called a uh, tire wear. Now think about it, same driver, same vehicle, same weather condition, same road. The only difference is the status of the tires. One is uh, driving with worn tires and the other one is driving with brand new tires. And it's uh, extremely rainy. Yeah. The one with the new tires can drive hundred miles an hour. It will per- be perfectly well in this specific crane, but maybe the other one uh, would have to drive maximum 50 miles an hour. Uh, otherwise it gets uh, what's what they call aquaplaning and actually there's no um, um, uh, there's no friction between uh, the road and the vehicle. And the only difference is just the status of the tire. And the tires are still legitimate. They're still legal, everything is fine with them, but it's just a little bit more worn than, than, than the new tires. We are measuring that we, uh, and we can provide those uh, alerts to the driver should the OEM agree to uh, provide those uh, uh, alerts. And so with this specific tire that you have, you better not drive from Denver to um, um, Colorado Springs at, um, um, I don't know, at, at 80 miles an hour. Better
0: drive slower. Exactly. So- <laughs> they'll still drive quickly. I'm telling you, it doesn't matter if they have, even if they have tires, they can drive on rims and they're still going to go <laughs> as yeah. fast as they can. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And, 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 you know, it was making me think as you were describing the tire health, you could really maybe even collect data that shows a tire and how it wears in the warmer weather, in the colder weather over several seasons. And therefore the tire manufacturer could take that data and, over the three years, let's say, of that tire and say, well, this is when it started to wear out more than at other times.
1: Right. And, and the beauty here is that we are completely independent or indif- indifferent to a driver's behavior. So we don't care if this specific driver is wearing, uh, wearing his tire uh, faster. Um, we can provide those uh, tire manufacturers with statistics and telling them, with this specific uh, t- uh, vehicle model and in this specific area, it's actually uh, those tires are, are worn faster than 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 in other places. This is extremely uh, valuable, and we are working with uh, with the tire manufacturers. Uh, one of them even invested at in the company.
0: My guest is Shahar Bin Noon, Chief Executive Officer at Tactile Mobility. Presumably, as as we just said, this technology is going to make me a more informed driver if I listen to the car telling me how to become a more informed driver. Therefore, if I'm a better informed driver, that should make me a better driver and wouldn't that then help me lower my insurance rates?
1: Yes, insurance is extremely interesting here and this is a little bit more sensitive. We're trying now, we have a lot of, uh, uh, we're trying to be a little bit more focused uh, and, uh, you know, with insurance uh, type of, Product, you need to um, really learn about a specific driver and tell the insurance company if he agrees, of course, uh, how this specific driver behaves and maybe can get a, a, a lower price for the insurance. What we are trying now to focus is actually not to uh, deal with uh, 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 Jason or with Shahar. We, uh, we are dealing with a uh, big data. We are not we, we actually do not care about a specific driver uh, because the the other solutions uh, are actually related to privacy and we don't want to infringe any privacy rules uh, that are related. Data from uh, mobility is extremely sensitive and we are, uh, we are meeting all the requirements of, of of the privacy rules in the US, in the Europe, GDPR, et etc. Uh, So we are trying not to frame a specific driver and tell him, okay, you're driving this and that. Um, But of course, the technology is capable of learning exactly how Jason is driving. And maybe if you're a a great driver, maybe you can get a better price.
0: Well, it's funny because I have a friend at work who she has a Tesla and she is connected to the Tesla auto insurance. And the, the car actually records how she drives and sends Correct. that information yeah. back to the insurance uh, portion of Tesla. And so her, she has this little dashboard of some sort that shows her how, what her driving score is. And she gets really upset if she's bol- anywhere below a 95. Mm-hmm. So she tries to keep it so then she's, she's getting the, and, and they can change yeah, and they time. can change the rates at almost a daily level based on how you're driving that day, that week, that month.
1: That is an excellent solution, and there are plenty of solutions. This is the reason why i have decided not to do, <laughs> not to deal with the driver's behavior. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's it. Yeah, because you you don't want to pry in people's well, lives. Um, but but there yeah.
1: are simply but, other yeah. solutions that are doing the the job pretty good. So we are trying to focus on on uh, on our strengths.
0: Are, are we getting to the point where maybe there are too many sensors in in the cars? I, I was talking not too long ago to somebody who's in the auto repair business. And they say even these minor collisions can cause so much damage and and, and can be so expensive to repair and and complicated because there are so many sensors and other little uh, pieces of of electronics inside these cars now. Are are we just getting to the point where there's just too much?
1: Um, Not for us. For us, the more the (laughs) merrier. (laughs) Uh, The more sensors, the better. But yes, of course, it's be, uh, it's becoming a little bit more expensive. Uh, I, what, one of the things uh, that we are providing is the ability to change hardware sensors to software sensors, as it was with TPMS, with tire pressure monitor systems. It used to be only with hardware, pretty expensive, uh, four or five sensor per, vi- per uh, wheel. And now it's just like a, a 40 cents solution per vehicle. And, and, and you have a, a decent uh, solution. So, what we are uh, doing is we're part of the ROI for the OEM, uh, the return on investment, is telling them guys, you have a sensor there that maybe you don't actually need it to be a hardware sensor for $20, $20 which is extremely expensive for the OEMs. And you can replace it with a software one that is potentially even better at $0.40, cents, $0.50, cents a dollar, less than a dollar.
0: This data collection, could it be used if the a lawyer, police wanted to investigate a crash?
1: Yes, yes, um, uh, absolutely, because uh, we are learning so much about, again, driver's behavior, what happened uh, before the accident, during the accident, um, and we can provide a lot of data uh, to for accident reconstruction um, again not the main focus for us right now because there are other solutions but uh, absolutely this type of data tactility data as well as of course visual data is uh, uh, is critical for uh, accident reconstruction and can help a lot of insurance companies to determine what really happened there.
0: My guest is Shahar Bin Noon. He's the Chief Executive Officer of Tactile Mobility. Uh, is it, it, I think we briefly talked about it just a little bit ago, but this all seems like it is leading us down the road into autonomous driving in a world where we as humans are not driving, where it's the car feeling the road, seeing the road, and trying to do what humans do. What is your prediction? Where do you see autonomous driving in the next five years, 15, 25 years?
1: (laughs) Uh, That's the uh, $1 billion question. (laughs) Uh, uh, You know, if you ask me about it uh, maybe a a year ago, I would probably answer a different uh, 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 answer. I've been participating in panels about that, and uh, this answer is again and again the same uh, same answer. Nobody really knows, but what people now, uh, uh, up until maybe a year back, they uh, spoke about level five which is a full autonomous vehicle. there's no wheel uh, no driver at all and you're just entering a box there and it's driving by itself etc now people tend to uh speak about the ada s- uh, solution more and it's with a gradual process uh the uh, the uh driving uh, uh, the assistance driving systems uh, to the driver that is slowly, uh, and when I say slowly, probably within ten years from from now, a little bit more than that. People say 2035, full autonomous. Every five years, the level. So level three is already here uh, for the advanced uh, OEMs. It will be there for all the other OEMs pretty soon, probably around 2023 or four. And then 2024, probably another four, four or five years and another five years for level five, uh, it'll be there. The, um, uh, the need is there, the ROI is there, uh, um, and the motivation to get there is there. Uh, it's just a, a lot more complicated than people thought.
0: Do you think we'll ever be able to mix human drivers and autonomous drivers on the same roads at the same time?
1: Well, uh, we call it the hybrid, uh, the the hybrid phase, which is the most uh, difficult one. If it will be only roads for autonomous vehicles, I don't think it will be an interesting uh, um, solution. It it will be only few cars like that. Um, But so the whole idea is to have the technology good enough to be able to go through that hybrid phase with crazy drivers, drunk drivers, as well as Cars that are driven by algorithm—it <laughs> doesn't go together well—and um, and that's the most uh, uh, challenging. So it will start slowly, or probably in main roads. Probably uh, the main application would be trucks. Probably in the U.S. Uh, that are uh, efficient and, and they can actually drive, uh, you know, thousands of miles without a driver in Route 90 from Boston to Seattle. Uh, and and save the cost of the driver, uh, et cetera. So it will probably start from those type of application that are uh, has a clear ROI, and then later on gradually to also passenger cars uh, with this hybrid uh, phase.
0: Yeah, it was just a few episodes back that I actually talked to somebody from ID Tech X who believes that trucks make the most sense to become right. autonomous first and then move right. on from there to passenger vehicles or, or really uh, uh, shuttle vehicles, if you will, let's say, taking you from the airport, uh, around an airport to a city, that sort of thing, and then eventually go into the commercial space where everybody can use those kind of cars.
1: Right. Think about what the algorithm needs to know, that every, excuse my French, every stupid driver <laughs> knows very, very uh, easily. But um, for the algorithm, sometimes the difference between a white truck that is parking on the side of the road and a cloud, which is also white, is very, very difficult to know the difference. Um, and that's just uh, one example of, of thousands of uh, examples. So, yes, it will take time, but it's, it's getting there.
0: Yeah, I remember a story when yeah. autonomous cars were first being tested. I think it was somewhere in the northeastern united states and there was a flock of seagulls and you know how they can when they get together they could look like a uh, a cloud or something coming at so the car freaked out stopped didn't know what to do how to handle just birds but we as humans can immediately know what that is know how to handle it know how to deal with it
1: uh, and nobody uh, taught the algorithm this specific algorithm probably by now they still don't know how to recognize uh, seagulls in, uh, in the sky coming at cars. Uh, it's so many different types of sol- uh, situation that the algorithm needs to uh, learn.
0: Well, as we wrap up here, uh, Shahar, what is next for tactile mobility? Where do you guys go next? And how can you continue to improve your software to gather more data or make it more useful for us drivers?
1: Well, uh, for us, we uh, we want to be tactile inside in every vehicle. We're getting there uh, already with the uh, OEMs with millions of cars. Um, you know, there's about seventy million cars manufactured a year. We're, we're, we're focusing mostly on uh, passenger cars, but uh, um, uh, not not only. But right now, this is the focus. So once we get there to um, dozens of millions, where you get this data refreshed. And then those solutions in the cloud can really make a huge difference, uh, in a way being the the, the Google of tactility maps.
0: <laughs> well, and Google started there in Israel. And is and, and isn't there a? Don't you think there's a difference between uh, data collection or or sharing there in in Europe compared to the United States compared to Asia?
1: Oh yes, definitely. Um, I, I think uh, the, the U.S. is a little bit more. Uh, easier than in europe europe is very rigid about uh, about data collection and uh, in uh, in when you say asia it depends where of course uh, but in in china is extremely extremely challenging to collect uh, uh, data so for, for for that reason we are focusing in north america and um and europe uh, for our uh, initial solutions
0: well, I think it's been a fascinating conversation, and I um, I wish you the best of luck, and and I hope that well, when I can afford to get a new car, that I can help <laughs> contribute to some of this tactile mobility information gathering.
1: Thank you very much, Jason. Thank you very much for hosting
0: us again. The contact information for tactile mobility is in the description of the show. When I first started researching that company, I, I thought they were involved in the in in sensors and gathering information that way, but found out they're, uh, they're, the sensors are already there in the car, and none of us probably had any clue how many sensors are already in the car, already spitting out all kinds of information. You, know, you already know that your car is basically a, a giant computer on wheels, but I, I didn't know that there were that many sensors already built into it that are already going into the brain of the car, and that you could just tap right into it that easily. I don't think any of us really had a clue um, how many are in a modern vehicle. We talked a bit at the end there uh, about the connectivity of modern cars to the cloud and to each other and how the infrastructure is lagging behind that connectivity. And I I think that's what's going to be the major hurdle moving forward uh, in the Internet of Things, it, it, with vehicles and road access, as I've heard in the past, and with smart driving, if you will, there there really needs to be more robust and better coverage of 5G. It needs to be in more of the vehicles. It needs to be in more of the connected signals. So everything is talking to each other in real time with without much latency, which basically means the, the time difference. Uh, you know how fast your your computer is and your internet is all talking to each other at the same time. Because smarter and faster computers and quicker links to vehicle computers is really key to all of this working together. And that's why I think it's going to take probably more years. Uh, than some do, that we're going to see autonomy and, and uh, self drive all that kind of stuff, and uh, smart roadways, all those kind of things. I, I know there are a lot of smart people out there work, working on these problems, and there's plenty of money being thrown at it. So the problems will be solved. It's just a matter of how far down the road, you know, how, how long it's going to take, how much money it's going to take to get us there if you have any questions again any comments let me know it's all in the description of the show including that listener hotline 303-832-0217 thanks again for listening thanks for being here and until next time i'm jason luber the traffic guy be safe and as always happy motoring